Well, we are uh, traveling through the book of 1 John. That's where we are. And we're in the fourth chapter, the fourth chapter of the book of John, or 1 John, excuse me. This is the old apostle here. He is now uh, approaching 100 years old, the oldest of the apostles, the last living, the one who was the son of thunder, who witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ and became the son of love or the apostle of love. And he speaks of love, as you'll see today now, folks. Uh, this is a real eye-opener. Here in about um, two or three weeks, my wife and I, it's almost too hard to believe it's been a year, we're going to go uh, to Colorado again and uh, spend about nine days there, uh, Lord willing. And uh, we have some places uh, that we're going to go, but also there's another place uh, that we're going to go, and it's called Estes Park, Colorado. And Estes Park, Colorado is in the heart of the Rocky Mountains. And if anyone wants to see our pictures, like Lexi always likes to see my pictures, I'm kidding, I show it to her all the time, and she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but anyway, we're, uh, it's right in the heart of uh, Estes Park, uh, it's right in the heart of Rocky Mountain National Park. And it's really amazing. Uh, you travel there by a, a highway called the Peak and Peak Highway. It's beautiful. It's got all these uh, mountains. They're, they're just everywhere. You almost can't believe it. They're just everywhere. And then you pull into Estes Park, and you're right on kind of a, a high cliff as you come around the corner, and kaboom. They're just everywhere, and they're in surround sound-like. And what's amazing about them is they're all so beautiful, but some of them have uh, jagged places that kind of stick out. You know what I'm talking about? And the whole scene is beautiful, but that jagged place, oh, it just takes your breath away. And they're one right after another, and you could almost do a pirouette and see them <clears throat> on every side. Well, that's what this chapter is. It's high, and it's holy, and it's beautiful. And we're going to try and do it in one week, and I'm not so sure we should do one or two verses per week because these verses are like those jagged places, the jagged rock that are just so beautiful and breathtaking and high and holy that you just want to stop at every one. That's what this is. First John chapter 4. Remember, you won't get this if you don't understand what he was combating. He was combating people called the Gnostics. I'll tell it to you again. You're probably tired of hearing it now the fourth time, but you won't get the book if you don't understand it. And that's this, is that there were these uh, weird theologies that sprouted up that talked about uh, uh, people who were in the know. Gnosticism, that's what it means, to know. And there were these different strains of these theologies, but one uh, big strain that ran throughout the entire uh, uh, theology or incorrect theology was that matter, like this thing, like this thing, is evil. And that the only uh, part of life or even a person that was important or mattered in any way was the spiritual and that certain people could gain uh, certain spiritual uh, uh, heights, 
uh, and, and come to a place where they just, you know, the spiritual just exploded in them and that they had denied or uh, uh, removed themselves so far from the physical that they got to this higher place. And oh, by the way, uh, if you weren't one of them, uh, they sort of looked down on you. And it cr- caused divisions within the church because people were saying, well, you know, why aren't you at this higher plane? I'm, I'm there, and uh, of course you're not, so I'll sit over here. You sit over in the peanut gallery, stuff like that. There was two ways that some of the Gnostics went. One way was, oh, if matter is evil, then we'll beat our bodies, because it's matter, into submission until it is in conformity with the spiritual. That was one strain. Another strain was, uh, oh, no, who cares? If, if matter is evil, well, let's just live in any way we want with the body. And you can go and imagine what that might be. They would live any way they would with the body because the body didn't matter at all as long as they were maintaining this spiritual height. Who cares what the body did? It wasn't going to have any impact anyway. And they started to have uh, really uh, uh, weird thinking with regard to who Christ was and is. For instance, there was one strain of uh, Gnosticism that thought Jesus' body, because body or matter is evil, that meant Jesus was just sort of some sort of like apparition. And he really was only just a spiritual being or uh, a deity, right? But his body was nothing. There were other people who thought, well, yes, he was a man, and his deity came upon him at the cross, but left him before uh, his death, so that there was some deity on the cross, so to speak, and that was a weird strain of Gnosticism. But you see, as we have been talking about over the last six months or so, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is efficacious or effective or accepted because he's the God-man. And any strike at Jesus' deity or his humanity diminishes the sacrifice. And you say to yourself, well, why are you telling me this? Well, folks, you're going to be hit from all angles in this society with people who deny Jesus Christ as God. Or they might go the other way. We have people all the time knocking on our doors, wanting to give us materials that diminish who the biblical Jesus is. And it is a matter of life and death. Now, this isn't from one of them, but this is interesting. So I got this yesterday in the mail. Isn't this funny? This is not, uh, uh, you know, this is from the Scientologists. They sent me a letter. They sent me two DVDs, an overview of Scientology. And if you know anything about Scientology, it's the opposite. It's that thing where, oh, well, maybe, uh, you know, you, you can do with Christ what you want. But he doesn't really matter. What is, matters is the power within. You uh, harnessing that power within to become super spiritual right? And uh, they get into really weird stuff. And so my point is, it's all around. And so it's our charge, isn't it? It's our charge that we know the 
uh, Jesus Christ and know him, we're going to talk about it today, but listen, folks, not as you think he is in your mind or wanting to be, but how he's revealed in the scriptures, and that's important. It's so important, you know this, right? In chapter 2, John said, who is a liar but who denies that Jesus is the Christ? You go, well, that's not saying humanity, deity. Yes, it is. His human name, Jesus. His deity, his name from heaven, the Christos, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He's not just Jesus. He's not just Christ. He's Jesus Christ. And Paul, or John says, who is a liar, verse 22 of chapter 2, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Get it? He's both God and man. He is the God-man. He's Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. And he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That was in chapter 2. Now, Paul, or Paul, why do I keep saying Paul? Because I guess I preached through the Old Testament and he wrote most, or the New Testament, and he wrote most of the New Testament. But this is John, and John left us with this last time. Uh, he la uh, left us in verse 24. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Now, here we go. I'm going to read some of this, and, uh, uh, and then we'll talk about it. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test the spirits, folks, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus... No, not just Jesus. That Christ, no, not just Christ. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, no, not Jesus. Oh, every uh, does not confess that Christ has come in the flesh. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. He's the God-man. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, capital A, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. How is he already in the world, whether I know if he's in the world or not? Because the spirit of Antichrist, small a, is here. Anything, uh, those, those ideas and those thoughts that oppose uh, Jesus. Well, you are of God, little children, verse 4, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit, or the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So let's break this down real quick. First of all, you understand that you're commanded to, I'm commanded to, well, I'm commanded to teach you. You're learning on your own. You, by the way, uh, we, we saw it a couple chapters ago, you have the Holy Spirit yourself. Okay, listen, I'm no better or different than you or any pastor 
I'm the same as you. I just have a different role. My role is to teach. It's not means I'm better. It doesn't mean I'm uh, pious or super spiritual or anything of that nature. You have the Holy Spirit. I have the Holy Spirit. And oh, by the way, you have the same Holy Spirit that John had or Paul had or Peter had. So this is a command, not just for the leadership of the church. Of course, it's for the command of the leadership of the church to be a shepherd to the flock. Of course. But it's a command to you to be able to test the spirits, whether they are of God. Listen, there are some spiritual things. Every spiritual experience or demonstration, listen, folks, doesn't necessarily mean it's from God. <laughs> Test the spirits, whether they are of God. There's a spiritual experience that can be from God, and there's spiritual experiences that are not of God. And you and I and we, I believe, through the gift of discernment that God gives us, he gives us discernment. We are to discern these things, which means you and I, we must be intimately familiar of who Jesus is as revealed in the Scriptures and who the Holy Spirit is and who the Father is and the overriding, arching themes of the Bible so that you and I, we together as brothers and sisters, can rightly divide the Word and distinguish between experiences that are from God and experiences that are not. Because what does the enemy do, folks? He comes right alongside the things of God, makes them look attractive and good and maybe even religious, and twists them so that it leads to a different door or road. That's what he does. And here, it's, he says, beloved, you're loved. I, never get, I don't want you to get over that. I never want you to get over that. Yet you're loved. Beloved, don't believe every spirit. Not every spiritual experience is from God. You can, well, you know, even in the church today, you can see it. If you're going to a new church, I know what you feel like. You're like, okay, what's this church going to be like? Or is it, is it going to be dead over on this side? Here it comes. Sorry, uh, there on the TV. Uh, is it dead intellectualism? Or is it over here, people running up and down the uh, aisleways and acting silly? You're, you're thinking that. I know you're thinking that because you asked me about it. And what can happen is in the church is we can emphasize something, doctrine, 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 which I love, by the way, and so do you at the expense of experience. We have people over here like, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit, I don't even know if I want to look over that way. And you have people over here who, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I don't even know if I want to look over at the Bible. And the Bible tells us that there's something in the middle, there's a balance. And the balance is, is that we can experience God. In fact, this entire book turn with me to the first chapter right in the beginning, is that you would have a joyful life. Thank the worship team for singing about joy this morning. Rejoying. Joying again and again and again. 
we can have joy, that our joy would be full. And how do we know it? We know it because Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And that, look at, look at this, verse 3, that we can declare to you that we also have fellowship together. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Christ Jesus. And then he goes on and says, not only do you have fellowship, listen to this one. Not only can you have fellowship with the Lord, you can be a son or daughter of the king. Whew. So, so there's experience here, folks. But you're required to test the spirits. Any experience, no matter how religious or wonderful it looks, is not from God if it doesn't match up with the Word of God. It just isn't. I know. I mean, I get it. People come up to me. They say things. You know, the, the, I'm just being honest. The red flag just goes, whoop. Really? That doesn't sound very biblical. Or you have people that are so scared of the Holy Spirit, they're scared of anybody who has a gift or anything like that, and they put their head in the sand. And so uh, there's something in between, but it's always measured, folks. Listen, it's always measured by the Word of God. It's always measured by the Word of God. So get to know the Word. And be beloved, don't believe every spirit, but to test the spirits. That's a command to you. Get so familiar with Jesus Christ and His fellowship and ask him for the discernment to test these spirits, these things that are happening that people come to you with and they wonder uh, whether or not this is of God. Well, you will know if it's of God. Uh, here, he goes on to tell you, and he warns you first. He says there's many false prophets who've gone out into the world. Remember, starting in the Old Testament law, the Lord was concerned with false prophets. There were penalties for being a false prophet in the law. Remember, Jesus said that false prophets are going to come as, I always say it backwards, wolves in sheep's clothing, which means they're going to look like us. Uh, they actually might even, well, not might, First John says they're going to come out of the church. And we talked about what were some of the characteristics of those who... Uh, uh, come out of the church who are false prophets, and that's over in chapter 2, verses 18 and beyond. So there are many false prophets who've gone to the Word, but by this you know the Spirit of God. How do I know? You're saying to yourselves, well, how do I know? Well, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Of course, remember what he was combating he would say this, he would say it in his time because they were saying he was just a phantom. But if he was just a phantom, see, the sacrifice wasn't efficacious. It wasn't enough. But it was enough, it is enough, because he's the God-man. It's important. It's important. See, because Hebrews tells us that he tasted death for all of us, for all men, all women. He tasted death, which means he had to be a human a bowl, a bull, B-U-L-L, -L, couldn't pay for our sins because a bull didn't commit the sin. Humans did. And so, 
By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And listen, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. Now, he's combating something particular. So he's not giving you the entire test right here. You understand that? He's combating the phantom problem. But the, what, converse, or the opposite of that, or I don't know if that's the right word, but the other uh, side to the coin, there we go, (laughs) is that he's also God. The sacrifice wouldn't have been eternal or lasting if he wasn't God. Had to be both. And there are many today, folks, look, I've been telling you this. I know it sounds harsh. I don't want to be harsh. I just want to be truthful and loving. That if you're caught up in some uh, uh, religion that says Jesus is lesser than God himself, it's a matter of life and death. Could I be any more clear? And actually, I'm not the one being clear. It's the Holy Spirit through John and the Word of God. So that is the test. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, the Antichrist. This is, of course, the anti-Christian thinking. Let's go and get right near and look morally good and live good lives. And then uh, the enemy says, and then we'll twist it so that, yes, Jesus was here and he died and all that stuff, but he wasn't man or he wasn't God And we wipe out the whole sacrifice for a person who's trusting. See, here's the point. If you're bored right now, which I can lead people to do or be, you you perk up right here. It matters who, who you think Jesus is. It matters. It matters eternally and for salvation. See, the Bible tells us to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ died and rose again. But what do we believe? That's packed full of meaning. We must believe he was and is the God-man. We must. It's the whole teaching of the New Testament. Actually, it's the whole teaching of the Bible. That God would provide himself the sacrifice. Okay, so this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now already in the Word. And you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Here it is, because he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. That's another reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in your life. The Holy Spirit is teaching you things. Folks, I'm not the only person, or maybe you don't even think I am, but the guy on TV, whatever, is not the only anointed one. The Bible tells us, back in chapter 2, verse 26, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing, which, look at this, it's the normal transaction that happens for every born-again Christian. You get anointed. And what are you anointed with? The oil of uh, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live in your life. You're anointed. Not just the people up here or the people you see on Instagram who are, you know, strutting around the stage. It's for you. And keep going. 
And it actually says, and you don't need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you'll abide in him. Oh, yes, the Bible clearly says it's proper and right to go to places where there's teaching and good teaching and to sit there and to learn and help to have someone explain what the Bible is saying. Of course, the Bible says it in a a couple of different places and can't be more clear. But here's the point. You can go home, read the Bible for yourself, and have the Holy Spirit teach you, just like all of us can do in Christ. See, this is important because, remember, this was dividing the church. Well, I've attained to some spiritual place that you haven't, so I'll be the one to teach you. You don't even need to open the Bible. Just listen to what I say. Sound familiar? That's an American church in lots of places. Here it says, No, 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 you have the anointing. And so when you uh, move back to chapter 4, greater is he that is in you, that is, he is in the world. And they are of the world. Even though they look like Christians, they sound like Christians, they might even have powerful, quote-unquote, spiritual experiences. They are of the world, therefore they speak of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God, and he who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody in this camp or in this camp? They get mad when you talk to them. They get mad. Well, what about the Holy Spirit? You're quenching the Holy Spirit. What about that? Hey, don't talk to me about that stuff. Well, what are you doing running around, rolling around on the floor? What, God is a God of decency. He's a God of order. Why aren't we in somewhere in the middle for balance? What the Scriptures tells us. Don't tell me about that. You didn't feel what I felt. That's within the Christian church, but look at, look at this. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. There's something about being able to take correction. That's biblical and holy. Okay, so he gives us this warning. Why is he giving us this warning? Because he loves people so dearly, he doesn't want them to miss salvation. Get it? It's loving to say this. Okay, now let's go on. This is the part, well, this is, that was one of the <laughs> jagged edges of the mountain. And here come a whole bunch more in rapid succession. Ready? Verse 7, beloved, there it is again, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God. You say, oh, okay, well, yeah, jeez. Well, first of all, John, you've told us that about 20 times already. Second of all, John, you don't know me. I love people. I mean, come on. I come to church. I say hi in the halls, I give my five-minute deal, and then, I mean, I love people. It's amazing. But that's not the kind of love he's talking about, just the glancing, passing, how you doing, brother, kind of love that really doesn't mean it. The love that says, I'll love you, but if you don't, if you stop being useful to me, I'll pull the plug. No, this is a different kind of love. 
that he's talking about here. He's talking about an eternal, holy love that's straight from God. And that love is this kind of love. Check it out with me. Everyone who loves is born of God. And here you go, circle this word, knows God. Why is he saying that? Remember, Gnostics in the know. He's saying, hold on here. If you really want to know if you're from God, you'll be a person that loves other people. What was happening to the Gnostics? They were causing division. We're great, you're not. Jesus, the greatest of them all, became a worm. He didn't say, I'm great, you're not. He came out of the heavens and became a worm, Psalm 22 tells us. The lowest of the low. He stooped down. He was born in a slobbery trough, in a manger, with diapers. Think about it. He became a man. He took on humanity. He didn't say, I'm great, you're not. He said, I'm coming down to your level happily. I want to do it for the greater good of you being put back in reconciliation to the Father. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. You start to see what real love is. And everyone who loves is born of God, but it's the divine kind of love, and knows God. You know God by experience. You begin to experience God. You sit in His love. You revel in His love. You live in His love. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. What is one of the things that God is? Well, God is love right? God is spirit, the Bible tells us. God is light, the Bible tells us. God is a consuming fire, the Bible tells us. But here, John deals with this thing, this attribute, this character of God that's love. Everything God does, he acts in conformity to love. But listen, you do say amen, and I'm glad you do. But what happens when you pray the prayer? You pray it on Monday. Oh, Lord, take this terrible thing out of my life. You wake up Tuesday like it's like a, you know, Christmas morning. You run out and see if the thing's gone out of your life. Lord, I prayed. You didn't take it out of my life. You guess what you're doing? You're calling into question the love of God. See, God loves you so much. He's only going to do what's ultimately best and great for you. Ultimately, what's best and great for you, he's always going to work according to his plans and purposes for those who love the Lord and walk according uh, uh, to, to the Spirit. He's going to do it. But, 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 but we wonder and call into question God's love all the time. God is love. He never acts outside of love. And it's really interesting here, if you'll think about it, here in verse 7 and verse 8, I'm going to read you something from William Barclay that I think you'll really like. It's this. Love has a double relationship to God. This is a comment on chapter or verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. Love has a double relationship to God. Here it comes. It is only by... You're going to want to write this down. It's only by knowing God that we learn to love. It's only by knowing God that we to learn to love and, oh, listen to this. And it's only by loving that we learn to know God. Let me say that again. That's so beautiful. Love has a double relationship to God, William Barclay says. It's only by knowing God that we learn to love. 
And it's only by loving that we learn to know God. Oh, my. He gives us tests here. He gives us a litmus test. He wants to, uh, uh, you, you see, because the, the Gnostics could say things like, well, what are you guys talking about? I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I, I, I believe in one God and three persons. So what are, you, what are you talking about? I guess they don't believe in one God and three persons, but you know what I'm saying. I believe in them. I believe... He said, well, wait a second. You're going to know that you have a right understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ if you're a person who's living in the, uh, uh, the, the light of, the fellowship of God's love. And if you're then turning around and loving like God's love. He who does not love does not know God. But wait a minute, you say, I love, I love people, but check yourself, think about yourself. Are you holding a grudge right now with somebody in the church? Here's what I would do. I'd get up and run over to him and say, I was wrong. See, that's loving. Are you mad at people you see on TV and you hate them? Now I'm coming to your kitchen. You just turn on the TV, you watch the news all the time, and you, I mean, you just jump out and you just say, oh man, I, oh man, if I was there. And there is such a thing as righteous anger. Of course there is a, such a thing of righteous anger, but I'm talking about hate. You see, Jesus died for the people on TV too. He loves them, and guess what he said? He said that he's pouring out his spirit into our hearts. He sheds abroad his love in our hearts so that those who are born again have a right understanding of who Jesus Christ is, they love. They'll love people even in the wrong political party. I really think a litmus test for this, especially in today's America, is to find somebody who totally disagrees with you. Everything. Everything, all of them. I'll go down the list. It'll make your blood boil. And see how you love them. How do you listen to them? Are you listening to them so you can crush them? God's not calling you to that. See, because the Bible says he demonstrates, Romans 5, 8. I find it fascinating that it's not demonstrated with a D. It's with an S. See, it happened all 2,000 years ago. But it says God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, you know what the Lord is telling you right there? You were once an enemy. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. You were once an enemy. So when you're watching whatever news channel you watch and you want to get up and punch the TV, remember, God loves them too. And he's poured the Holy Spirit out in our lives so that we would love them. Oh, do we have to go along with the things that they do? No! Nobody's saying that. But you know what I'm talking about. Here he says... 
Look at this. It's only by knowing God and spending time with Him that we really learn how to love, not how you think you should love. Let me bring over a bunt cake and, uh, you know, pat them on the head and tell them, you know, get well soon. But don't bother me with your problems. That's what we're thinking. Now, this is people who get down in the muck and the mire of life with somebody else because they need it. They see people with a need and they come alongside and they meet that need and they say, we're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. And here's what the gospel is. It's a giving love. It's a love that's giving without expecting something in return. Why would you be doing this? Well, just because I love you. Well, wait a minute. I didn't vote like you did last year. I still love you. Let us love one another. It's by knowing God that we learn to love, and then it's only by loving. See, it's in those times when we bear long with people and we forgive people and we stand alongside people who to us are ugly or gross, kind of like what Jesus did with us. It's only in those times. Look, it's in those times. It's not in the times when you like somebody and you love them back. That's easy. Anybody can do it, Jesus said. It's only by loving that we learn to know God, but really loving people. Listening to him. I didn't say agree. Loving them, meeting their needs, praying for them, propping them up. When they say bad stuff about you, it's okay. What could man do to us? We're going to be with the Lord. There's no law against these things of the Spirit. That's what it says in Galatians. There's, you can't hurt me. How could you hurt us? If you kill us even, we're going to go be with the Lord. So to love. For God is love. And then this, look at this, the love of God was manifested towards us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. You know what that says about the love that we're to be loving people with? That we hold nothing back. Well, I mean, I might take over some soup, but I ain't taking the best soup. I mean, come on, they voted differently than me. I'm saving the good stuff for you, you know, the people who are on my side. This, no, 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 listen. God sent his son. Just, just think about that. I said this in the class. I probably shouldn't say this. I might get thrown out of pastordom. I love you people dearly, but I ain't sending any of my kids for you. But you wouldn't do it for me. But he did. He sent his son. He held nothing back. He held nothing back. See, that's the kind of love that's shed abroad in our hearts. And what he's trying to tell you here, and I pray we don't miss it. I pray we just don't go, oh, this is another First John about love uh, chapter, and it just goes right over our head. That's the way in which you know you've been saved. Are you loving like that? You don't love like that to get saved. But when somebody is saved and the Holy Spirit of God comes into their life, this is the way people love. 
How do you know? Because they love like God loves because it's shed abroad in their hearts. Well, he says uh, it was manifested that he sent his only begotten son. He never holds anything back, and it's totally undeserved that God has sent his only begotten son into the world. That Why? Why did he send the son? Why did he send the son? That we might live through him. There's the purpose. There's the purpose for your life. You, you don't have to go to Arizona and look at crystals and find out about yourself. It's right here in the Bible. You got it right here. Every morning of every day, you know who you are in Christ. You know who you are. He sent his son. He's come to live in my life. And now my purpose, my purpose is that we might live through him. We have real life and we shine it out into the world. If God has called you to a dark place, praise the Lord. A hard, difficult place, praise the Lord. Who else could get there? He sent you to that beachhead, you to live through him. Now, let me tell you a little bit because not many people study this. Okay? And it's the. Um, uh, talk about, or the section about being the only begotten son, okay? We use the term uh, create to describe something that may come from someone, but isn't of the same essential nature or being. I'm reading a quote here. A man can create a statue that looks just like him, but it will never be human. However, here it comes, we use the term beget or begotten to describe something that is exactly the same as us in essential nature and being. We are adopted sons and daughters of God, but we are not of the same essential nature and being as God. You know, there's a religion right now, very popular. They'll send you some materials too. You can find them down in Market Square passing out literature. They say you can become deity. No, we're adopted sons and daughters of God, but we're not the same essential nature and being as God. We're human beings. But Jesus, listen to this, is the only begotten son, meaning his sonship is different than ours. He was and is of the same essential nature and being as God the Father. We're human beings. He's a God being who took on humanity to his deity. That's begotten. I fear, I mean, I don't know about you. When I started investigating the claims of Christ and people started throwing around these Christian terms, I had no idea what they meant, and that's one of them. I never knew what begotten was, did you? But we said it at Christmas time and stuff. So I just, I don't know, just went with it, rolled with it. But see, that's important. That's one of the rocks that are sticking out for you. He's the God man. He's the same in nature and essence as God the Father, and listen, that we, he came, he came, that one came, that one came, never tire of this, so that you may have life. You, me, and this is love, verse 10, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and has sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, we can't skip over this, folks. If you understand this one and unlock this in your heart and mind, this will change your Christian life, in my opinion. 
See, I grew up trying to conjure up lots of love for the Lord, but it failed by Sunday night. You know, you'd go to church and read your thing and do your sit, stand up and sit down and read a hymn and have about 20 seconds worth of the Bible and then, you know, glad hand with people you may or may not have even liked and then you went home and watched football. That's what I did. But when you get to know this, here's real love. Not that you loved God or that we loved God, but that He loved us. He is always first in the relationship. One God and three persons. How long has the Trinity existed? Always. There was never a beginning, never be an end. He's always existed. He existed before time began, before uh, uh, the foundation of the world, before uh, humans were made. This Trinity in perfect self-satisfaction or self-sufficiency, there we go, self-sufficiency, perfectly loves, perfectly has communion, God bless you, perfectly together and united. And yet God wanted to create, look, listen to this, humans. <laughs> Not because he needed us, because he wanted us. He wanted us. That puts a way different spin on who you are and whether or not you matter to God. You matter so immensely. He made you, and he knew going in that we would sin. And he knew going in he was going to send his son Jesus to die for us. And yet he did it. And then this is love that, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for the sins. He took on the wrath of God so that we or so that his wrath could be satisfied, his justice, his holiness satisfied, so that we could come back to God. That is love. Caring for others, taking on the burdens of others, doing for others. <laughs> I didn't grow up thinking that. Did you? <laughs> He's the propitiation for our sins. And I could go on and on and on. But I want to, I, I got several quotes here, but I'm going to read you one from Charles Spurgeon commenting on this. Listen to this. Yet we must not try to make ourselves love our Lord. What? We must not make ourselves try to love our Lord, but look to Christ's love first. For his love to us will beget in us love to him. We'll reciprocate it. I know that some of you are greatly distressed because you cannot love Christ as much as you would like to do. Anybody feel like that? Oh, just me. Okay. And you keep on fretting because it is so. Now, this is the beautiful part. Listen to this one. Listen. Spurgeon says, just forget your own love to him. Forget it. And think of his great love to you. And then, immediately, your love will come to something more like that which you would desire it to be. Forget your own love and think of his great love to you. Why, why could we rejoice when it's hard? Why could we rejoice in the valleys? Because of Christ's great love for us. 
And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. And he says it again, amazing, right? Beloved, if God so loved us, look at this. I might even write in here, I did write in here, it's a privilege. It's a privilege. Listen, it's a privilege. We also ought to love one another. It's a privilege to love those who are enemies. <gasps> love enemies? You mean they're in the blue party or the red party? You really th think I'm going to love them? Yeah, Jesus does. It's a privilege to love those who hate you. It's a privilege to love those who are different than you. It's a privilege to love those who think nothing that you think. It's a privilege because God has placed you there at such a time and season to be his light and love to people who you think aren't even responding, who might even curse you, might even throw things at you. Oh, beloved, if God so loved us, I'm, I'm writing in here, we also ought to love one another. It's a privilege. Get right thinking about loving people. Understand the love of God is for those who are set against our agenda. I can see the emails coming now. It's going to be great. But anyway, verse 12, no one has seen God at any time. 1 Timothy says he's invisible, right? If we love one another, God abides in us, and in his love has been perfected in us. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, he abides in us. That's such a startling statement. God lives in you, and his love is being or has been perfected in us. What? What's going on here? Check out verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Here it comes. Da, 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 da. It's like the, you know, the drum roll. Here it comes. Man, doesn't that pique your interest? Because, see, I don't want to just be a guy who confesses something off the back of the magazine and not be efficacious. I want to use the magazine. I use the magazine to share the gospel. But see, some people can just read it and it not mean anything. Here he says, when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life, that's what he's saying, you're in him and he's in you. It's such an intimate uh, thing. We're going to know that we abide in him because he has given us of his spirit. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. What do you mean he's uh, of the Spirit? Here's the litmus test. Are you interested in the things of the Spirit? Are you interested? Are you being drugged here because somebody dragged drag you here? Or do you want to know the Scriptures? Do you want to know the things of the Lord? Do you recognize you're a sinner? Have you trusted and have a belief in the finished work of Jesus Christ and his resurrection? Do you know all of those things? Do you re realize you're being molded and shaped into Christ's likeness? That he who began a good work in you won't finish. He'll keep going until he's, he's done. And you recognize that God's doing something in you. It doesn't mean you're perfect or pious. It just means you're on the path to sanctification. Do you know that? Is there fruit coming out of your life? Galatians 5. Do you, you know, you may have failed in long-suffering, but you recognize that I uh, want to be long-suffering, and the Lord wants to be long-suffering, and he's working long-suffering or whatever, self-control into my life. All these things, those are the fruits. 
For the fruit of the Spirit, by the way, it's fruit of the Spirit is love, and the rest are subsets, I think. Do you recognize in Romans 8 that you're a son or daughter who's been adopted into the family of God, and you can climb up onto the lap of God reverentially and cry out, Dad, Abba. Have you had that experience? Do you know that? Are those things that are deep in your soul? And do you know that there are spiritual gifts that are available to you? Well, those are the things that mark the Spirit in a person's life. By the way, they always, the Spirit's always pointing to Jesus, deferring to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, teaches of Jesus, teaches of sin and righteousness. How do you get the Holy Spirit in your life? <laughs> well, this is hard. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, just ask. Just ask for the Lord to come into your life. He'll take up residence in your life. That's the Holy Spirit. So when you go back, you know this because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. We could do a whole sermon series just on Savior. He saved us from our sins, the penalty, the guilt, the shame, the power of sin, and he's cleaning up our lives. He's making us more Christ-like. He's the Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, one God, three persons, the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. Look at that. Look at the intimacy that you can have with God. Do you have that experience? Do you, when you're down on your knees in prayer, do you feel and secure? Not all the time, not all the time. All the spiritual greats would talk about this. But do you know generally that he's there and he cares and he wants to act on your behalf? That's abiding and loving and praying. Well, God ha- uh, and we have known and believed the love have- God has for us. Oh, man. We could see, it's a, it's a jagged rock mountain poking out there. This love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Do you you think he wants us to to get the point? I hate books that say four keys to the Christian life. I hate it. Seven keys to happiness. Hate them. Here it is. Are you abiding? Is Is he in you and you in him? See, there's where joy comes from, folks. Not seven keys to this or seven keys to that. Just being honest with you. Those are just things to sell books. Here it is. It's abiding. It's abiding. It's abiding. It's abiding. It's abiding. Well, he keeps going. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. See, this goes right with our Revelation study. Because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. See, there's this great doctrine of the early church. Oh, by the way, it still remains today. And that's Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back a second time, he's coming back in judgment. And if you don't want to be scared or ashamed... You and I must be found in Christ. But if we're found in Christ, see, we can have boldness and there's no fear. That's why I keep trying to tell you on Wednesday nights, 
as many people has come up to me and said, I'm scared of the book of Revelation. I don't want to read the book of Revelation. It makes me scared. It makes me scared. I get it. I understand it. But what we're trying to do is to show you it's not something to be feared. It's a part of the plan and program of God himself through Jesus Christ that judgment will come, but in the meantime, he's holding on for salvation. He's asking people now to come to him. He's giving us every opportunity. You know, one of the ways I know he's given us every opportunity, because I get lots of people. Don't you hear it? Lord, why don't you just come back right now? You see something on the news, you read it, and you go, oh, my goodness. Why don't you just come back now? Please, Lord, just come back now. And that's a natural response. I understand it. You see how great his love is? He's waiting for people to come to know him in a real and saving way says that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. We do only because of the blood of Christ. We are going to appear at our judgment seat, the Bema seat, separate from the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment, they're going to open up the books and judge each other according to their works. God helped us. We don't want to be there. We don't want to be judged according to works. If we failed in that much, we failed in it all. The spiritual uh, 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 wages for sin is death or falling below the standard, but we're going to be at the Bema Seat judgment. Did you do with what I gave you? Were you a good steward? That has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with crowns and rewards. We've talked about it a million times, but we can even be bold there. Why? Because we run down this about every fourth sermon. God gives you grace in every area of your life. Just ride the grace. He even gives us grace for thanksgiving, the Bible tells us. And man, do I need that. So we can come boldly in the day of judgment. We can say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And yet, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Look at this, folks, because fear involves torment. He doesn't, what, it, what is fear? It's tormenting people. You, you know what is at the root of most of the fear in the world? It's that they can't fill their lives with anything that they've tried. And some of them don't even know. Some people don't even know that it's God. They do know. They've put it back in the subconscious or wherever they put it. But it's God that could only fill anything of it. And they're fearing they're going to miss it. So they reach out to everything. Drugs, sex, rock and roll, homes, careers, whatever. Sports. I had to do that for me. <laughs> Ohio State football. He says it again. We love him because he first of all loves us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, here it comes. John doesn't pull any punches. I love it. I love it. Don't you? I will say it about myself. If I say I love God but hate my brother, I'm a liar. Think about that now. Next time you watch the news. Next time you see people doing something you don't like or somebody that disagrees with you or disagrees with you, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, not the way you think you should love, but the way God loves people, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You must be one who's loving. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. How many times does he say it? 
You see, it must have been a problem back then. It must have been a problem. I think here, uh, and, and I'll close with this, and we're going to sing one worship song here at the end. I think what it was is this, folks. The people thought they were loving each other. But they really weren't. They thought they were loving. We go to church, we surround ourselves with the same kind of people, the same interests. They love to study the Bible. Here they come. Uh, come on in. Let's sit beside each other. I like you. You like me. Oh, so beautiful and cute. So wonderful. But what about the person that hates the things of God? <laughs> Who else is going to reach them if we don't? By God's love. And what is God's love? God's love is truth and grace, full of truth and grace. Yes, we can say truth to people we disagree with, but yes, you need to do it gracefully. Yes, we can tell people you disagree with them, but you can say it in a way that's loving. Why must you and I and we lash out too? That's not what God has called us to. I fear he was saying this over and over again because they weren't getting it. And I fear the American church is doing the same thing because we're not getting it. May we not be those people. May the love of God flood our hearts today as we come and we sing this last song in worship. I hope they're going to. I didn't ask them. May we be people who would seek out somebody who's different than us, who would ask people to come in, to share their, listen, to share their lives and to share your life and to back and forth love other people, love them, serve them a meal, invite them over, have them over for dinner, pray for them. If there's somebody in your heart right now you're thinking of, you can't stand them, just be honest. I know I'm the pastor, but... You, you just don't. You just don't. Pray for them today. Ask the Lord to give you a heart of tenderness towards them. And then ask the Lord to give you an inroad, an a, a, a open door to, to share life with them so that you could ultimately share your, or share the gospel. Well, heavy stuff. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this word. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd work in my heart. Lord, as sure as I am of my doctrine and my beliefs, Lord, help us to never distort the gospel in any way that was delivered to us by the apostles. No, Lord, we've never been truth. No, we're not saying that. But Lord, help us to love like you loved. Help us to love the ones we think are ugly or gross or enemies or out of their mind or how could they do this or how could they do that or in a certain sin that you're not in or I'm not in. Lord, help us to reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus who would gather up the lonely and the lost in Jesus' name, amen.